We found your new favorite movie, Jeff. It's finally happened. I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to find it for him. I, I, I just don't know why you find that funny i don't know why you f- torment me with this <laughs> hey i didn't choose this movie <laughs> you gotta put this one on alex it's actually always alex yeah it is mm. it is i've noticed that <laughs> well except for christmas with the cranks but that uh <laughs> that redeemed itself in editing yeah you we all know that you're gonna do that to us though yeah that's expected yeah well i didn't like <laughs> this one yeah today we're talking about barry linden 1975 movie from the great Stanley Kubrick. Alex picked this uh, because he'd never seen it, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. Um, so, yeah, Alex, why don't you set this up for us? So I was just explaining a bit before the podcast to Jeff that I chose this kind of on a whim because I had never seen it, right? And after what I had been subjected to the past few weeks when it comes to film with Christmas with the Cranks and the (laughs) Matrix 4. I needed something that was like, not only from a great established known director, but I needed something like huge. I needed like a production of like just gargantuan proportions. And what do you mean? The Matrix Resurrections has a gargantuan (laughs) mind fuck. I can't even think about that movie right now. I needed something that was just like, I knew that Kubrick was a filmmaker who's just like obsessive with everything. You could have stopped right? it right there. Kubrick is a filmmaker. Exactly. Boom. exactly. Like, we, we, a real filmmaker <laughs> making a real movie, not some fucking schlock. <laughs> so it was paired with the fact that I had never seen it. And I do like movies of this genre anyways. But I was like, I give it to me. Give me three hours of just cinematic bliss and high nose snobbery. And for me, that's what I got. I fucking loved this movie. And it honestly might be the most beautiful movie I've ever seen in my life. Damn. So this is, well, what's it about? Tell tell the people what, what it's about. Because oh, okay. I'm Come terrible on. at that. I mean, it's three hours you could, long. You could, do a, you could do it shortly. It's about an Irish upstart, social climber, who starts off kind of poor and like rural and moves his way up through middle 18th century high society. And it's quite an adventure. And he meets mentors along the way. And it's very, very well constructed. And like, you can see the construction of the character study where it's like you see him on this ascent and then you see his fall. And it's literally split up into two parts for you. So it is, it is quite literally. Um, yeah, Jeff. I mean, we've already seen that Jeff was not a fan of this movie. You you loved it, Alex. You said you watched it twice. Oh, I, I, I am a habitual rewatcher but i was going to watch this movie twice not for the narrative necessarily but for just the sheer like i don't know the scope of this movie is insane we talk about atmosphere we talk about like all of these things that modern movies do now but they do it with tricks and they do it with you know effects not like cgi special effects but they're a little more nuanced technological tricks you can do now to create atmosphere and mood in a movie what Kubrick did was like, no, I'm not going to do any of that. It's going to be 
almost 100% natural lighting, candlelight, outdoor shots. We're gonna like I'm gonna place actors in areas where the light will hit them in certain ways. And if we can't shoot today because of the weather, too bad. We're gonna shoot the next day. And it's like, I don't know. This movie must have been a bitch to make. This visually reminded me of Amadeus while watching it. Same sort of time period, same costumes and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. reading after that, that it was all natural light, that made sense because Amadeus was as well. This movie was an interesting one for me. I enjoyed it thoroughly on like a cinematic level. Kubrick was really coming into his own at this point. Let me see, where was this in his filmography? This is after Paths of Glory, Spartacus, Strange Love. It's after Clockwork Orange and yep. 2001, so it's sandwiched between Clockwork and The Shining. So you're getting like peak skill of Kubrick. Um, and this this movie, like, okay, the first half feels like like an adventure movie. It, it almost feels like it could have been like one of those Oscar movies from the 90s with Tom Hanks where he goes on an adventure and he meets all these characters and there's this whimsical score and all these like kind of flat shots that lend a comedic tone to everything. And it, it sort of has this pacing where it's like adventure to adventure to adventure. And the soundtrack keeps going throughout um, this this interesting, like whimsical music that, that makes it feel like a comedy almost. Yeah, sometimes. Even though it's not super comedic, it felt very Wes Anderson in that way. Yeah. Very like, very like weird storybooky. I like, I, I sent you a message. I was like, Wes Anderson is definitely a fan of this movie. There's oh, no yeah. way he's not. And then the second half becomes like a miserable family drama where you learn that Barry Lyndon is actually a giant asshole. Yeah. (laughs) And yet there's still like this touching humanity to him because he really loves his son and there's a tenderness there. But if I were going to say some negatives and this will lead into Jeff here, I think the movie was a little too slow, especially the second half, I think could have been condensed into maybe half the length. Mm-hmm. And the I think the major failing is that who is Barry Lyndon and why do I give a fuck? Because I was mostly carried by the filmmaking and I never really got a sense of who Barry Lyndon was. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I have stuff to say about that, but I'd, if Jeff wants to jump in here. No, I mean, <laughs> this is a hard one for me, honestly. Because this is a movie I recognize that is skillful. I mean, Kubrick's work speaks for itself. It definitely has an element of beauty to it. Like, there's some really fantastic wide shots of just, like, the Irish countryside and just the English countryside. Just kind of, like, great nature shots. And uh, Alex always kind of likens this movie to, like, a painting. And I very much agree as far as, like, the way he Kubrick can work with lighting to create almost like brush strokes on the film. And that's very impressive. Uh, this movie is also like watching paint dry. It is <laughs> the most boring fucking manners drama I have ever seen. I fell asleep twice watching this movie. In no place does this movie give a fuck to give its audience any type of, I don't know, just any type of, character or something to latch onto for a long period of time it seemingly moves through characters in a kind of a malaise way much like kind of barry moved through like his life 
up to when he was like, I mean, once he was already wealthy, it's like this almost like just kind of malaise, like, okay, so now he's with this guy and now that's gone. And now he's with this guy and or this person. And now that's gone. Now he's met this woman and her husband's dead. And now he's is like, it's this, everyone just kind of seemingly falls in and out of the plot in almost a, a nonchalant way that just kept me so unentertained. I just, I didn't care. I'm not a huge fan of, manners dramas as it is i just don't think that they're very interesting uh jane austen you know is the one i always kind of go to her books are a bore and it's it's the same feeling here honestly i i i wanted to like this movie a lot i wanted to i love kubrick i love a lot of his other work and i was excited for a, a kubrick style mind fuck of a movie and what i instead got was like Mrs. Mrs. Pennyfarthing would like yeah. some more tea. Yeah, just I just got like a really nice English fucking tea ceremony, and, and with all the Kubrick charm, but nothing that's really <laughs> worth watching. You were, you were <laughs> held hostage in a tea ceremony you didn't want to be in. <laughs> like I just, I just <laughs> felt so <laughs> empty the entire time so I was watching it. You're somebody who, and I've I've come to recognize this about you more and more because we've been friends for a very long time you like your art to kind of get to the point a lot of the time whether it's like a movie or or music even like you know like swans or even opeth you're just like what is this meandering garbage like get to the point my whole life is basically don't fucking beat around the bush tell me what you need to tell me tell me it in an efficient manner and do it entertaining like if but if you you but you also can slow down when a movie isn't doing that. Like, I don't know. Valhalla Rising is maybe like a borderline example, but like the thin red line, like uh, anything by... Um, what about There Will Be Blood? Is an extremely like slow modern movie though. I'll, I'll say that like the context of slow movies today is a little different than 1975. I like slow movies. It's I guess the thing is, and this is what I didn't want to happen. It's like, I enjoy a slow burn. I really do. I say it all the time. I sound like Trump right there. I say it all the time. I like slow burns more than <laughs> anyone else. Um, uh, it's no, it, it's just I don't like it when a movie is slow and pointless. Hmm. When it's trying to tell me something through its through its uh, camera work or through its design or through some larger intention, but just doesn't get to the fucking point. It's just like. I get it. Like I, I know what this movie's trying to tell me. Eight minutes into the plot, like, what, and I, what was I, it trying to tell you? It's just a story of how when you strive and strive and strive to maintain almost like a, the idea of like rising above your station. Like when a person in this setting tries to push or break their way through their station in life, it's only going to end up in like traumatic failure because they're not made or born to be that person. That's why he's, he doesn't understand how to be wealthy. He squanders it away. He doesn't understand how to be a, a good noble man. Instead, he just kind of falls to like the degeneracy of wealth. I don't know if that's to do with his station, but, but before I jump into like what this movie is to me in, in, in like an overarching way, I want to hear from Alex. Okay, so I'm going to address what Jeff said first, and then I'll go back to what you said, Jesse, because I remember what yeah. you said. So with Jeff, I don't actually think that it's a manners drama. I think everything on the surface, it is, obviously, you know, but I think that because the characters fall away so easily, it is solely like 
a movie, a character study, right? Like it's, it's called Barry Lyndon. It's just going to be about him and his almost whimsically ridiculous journey up the social ladder of Europe. But I think that less so of it being don't, it's not that like the lesson is don't strive for that. I think it's more like when you get there, Barry has this very strange idea of what being rich and what being wealthy and a gentleman is supposed to be. And then he like, like you said, I agree exactly with the last part of what you said, Jeff, when you said he falls to the degeneracy of wealth, that was always going to happen. And it's like a very common theme of rags to riches to asshole, you know? Um, my problem with the film mostly is the switch from Barry being kind of likable and me rooting for him and kind of becoming a clever like person to just being a total asshole within like one scene. However, what you said, Jesse, about like not really having a stake in any of the characters, I did feel that a little bit at first because I didn't know what was going on. During my second rewatching, the characters were much more endearing to me and I got to like know them a little bit more. Mm. But Barry is rogues gallery is kind of Barry's kind of flat for a main character. I, yeah, I, I didn't say. find him likable like, at all. Like I was like, this character sucks. Like he's a big fucking baby in the <laughs> You take my girlfriend. <laughs> don't take my girlfriend. That's his cousin though. You know how, uh, it, how important cousins are in the middle of the Yeah, I don't know. If he wants to fuck his cousin and make a one eyed fucking downs baby, <laughs> I guess. Like I just don't I don't I don't get it. Like I don't get the point to any of this like like I well <sighs> may i sure it's just gonna <laughs> piss me off more but yeah <laughs> maybe but i mean it's i'm not trying to i promise this isn't christmas with the cranks um <laughs> what i sort of got by the end of it and i sat there and i thought about it for quite a long time is that this movie feels like and this may be like on the pretentious scale but it is kubrick i don't know anyway it felt like life to me, where it starts out with this series of adventures, whatever your call to adventure is, maybe you're kicked out of home or you have to leave for whatever reason, you go through these series of adventures and then you like get to the middle point and then it becomes this like depressing family drama where you have bills to pay and people don't like you and like you're trying to do well but you don't really know how to act in the world whatever this world is that you're coming into and this leads me into like what i think is the secret genius of this movie is that i think it's kubrick's most cynical film because it's stealthily cynical (laughs) it's a movie that starts out where you're like oh where's this magical adventure going with this with this like whimsical storyline and the, these characters and this this like sort of flat shooting style and the music it's all it's like it's all like fairy tale-ish mm-hmm. and then the for it to end up where it does where he's just i mean spoilers his leg gets cut off he's penniless he ends up in america but we don't see that part mm-hmm. i mean it's it's like it's like a meta commentary on life and life in this point in time as well which is a hard thing for me to get past as well speaking to the manners drama part because i hate this fashion this fashion drives me nuts oh really i, I mean yeah like I, actual I 
clothing fashion is what you're speaking yeah the clothing <laughs> fashion the uh, oh, like the wigs i had a uh-huh. question about moles are people adding moles yes. onto their faces yes. okay but yeah that's that's my thought i think this is a deeply deeply cynical film that tricked me into thinking it was something different but ended up being like a really interesting meditation on existence did it make you like feel both of you i guess did it make you feel angry cynical like did you feel negative afterwards towards the movie or did it more like was it more sad or like solemn? It was more cynical? of a sad resignation, I think, okay. from the movie's part. I mean, I was I will this is where I'll agree on Jeff. I was exhausted by the end of this movie. Yeah. Like I thought the second half could have been condensed quite a bit. Yeah, I didn't care about what happened to Barry Lyndon. I had no attachment really? to his character at all. Like I was like, dude, this guy could get shot in a duel for all I fucking care. Like Actually, please do so it end the movie earlier. Well, mm-hmm. it's it wasn't so much that I cared about Barry Lyndon, and that was the thing that like engendered whatever feelings I had. It was just the feeling of the movie, if that makes sense. Like does, I didn't care about Barry sense. either. Yeah, it, it yeah. makes perfect sense what you're saying. Like I understand how you came to the read that you did. It's just I don't know. Like this movie just. The, the th- it, 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 you have to present me with interesting themes before you can sell me on your narrative or your idea that you're trying to present. The themes need to make sense or be captivating in a way that isn't just like long zoom out shots of the Irish countryside, which is like great. Like he really knows how to use a camera, but also like it's Ireland. It's fucking beautiful. And so it's like in the same way, it's like, yes, I can appreciate that. But if there's nothing, if there's nothing for me to sink my teeth into, there's no meat on this bone it's just pretty dressed up gristle then I just it's not I I can't I I can't attach to the theme that you're trying to present that's a hard conversation to have because it, it basically just comes down to not even interpretation but like taste almost it's like this movie didn't grab you I totally get it yeah, you know, I 100% get it. It's funny because I feel like Jeff and I are almost opposite in what we want and expect from movies. Whereas you said you like the getting to the point as long as you present it like, okay, I'm totally okay with never getting to the point until like maybe the end of the film. But I also have the same criteria as like, I need it to be okay. And for me, the most obnoxious movie is like The Matrix in that it's trying to get to all these points and it's so active and kinetic that I'm like, just stop. It feels like a literal bludgeoning. So when I come to these movies that are like slow, it gives me like space to just breathe a little bit and kind of like literally slow down my consumption of whatever media it is. But once I finished the movie, I knew, I I just knew I was like, Oh shit, Jeff is going to hate this. And yeah, I mean, not because yeah. like you don't like the like genre or like literature like it or anything like that, but the way that it was presented. Yeah, I knew too. The beginning, I was just like, well, when is this movie going to start? You know, like the scenes before the first duel with the general. Yeah. I was like, okay, Jeff was serious about this card scene. I was like, it's taken really long to get out of this. <laughs> But there's something about the way that he like used the natural light inside and outside of buildings that just, I just started to fall in love with the movie. It almost like enchanted me. Even the music. I was like, I couldn't look away from the screen twice. 
this movie felt like people who like go into a like an art museum like the Louvre and they like just stare at one painting for four hours. Okay, yeah, see? Exactly. It's, this speaks to me. This this painting says something to my soul and I I've never yeah. understood that in my life. Like There you go. Like I go, okay, a paint this is a good painting. Okay, that's a bad painting. That's a good one. I like that one. I don't like that one. Like I, I don't See, like no, I no lingering. No, no. It's like that. My snap opinion on something is always the most credible in my mind because it's my gut. It's my subconscious <laughs> telling me what I like, and it's always right when it comes to what I like. It oh, usually, it's always right for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when I go around and I look at like paintings i can't sit there and dwell on it like i take it I, my brain moves too fucking quickly like i just can't i can't slow myself down enough to appreciate the slowness to me it's like okay 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 and i'm like gesturing with my hands like let's go let's go let's go let's go like you you're very much like that in real life as well so <laughs> exactly it it's sense. like i don't yeah. like i'm not like the journey is the destination man go fuck yourself <laughs> the journey's the journey no. and it sucks <laughs> and the destination's where you want to be no i'm with alex yeah i was com- completely captivated by the filmmaking especially i don't know the era in film that i've been like watching recently there's so much of just like you don't really know what it's saying until the end and you're just mm-hmm. sort of like wrapped up in in this meditation where you're like slowly figuring out the the motivations or just like steaming in the filmmaking like reveling in the filmmaking so often very slow there's another film never reveled in my life that i feel like that's sad i felt you should a, revel more a lot of connection to with this one and it was the curious case of benjamin button mm. and only in the sense that there's this character moving through this ever-changing and like humongous world, right? It's like Benjamin Button is pretty massive as far as the destinations where the narrative takes place. And there's characters that come in and out of Benjamin Button's life. And in this film, they're less, I want to say, fleshed out. But there's an assumed and an implied richness to some of the characters that I just can't get away from that I feel like is so much like written literature. So when Barry gets robbed, for instance, by maybe the coolest street robber I've ever seen on film, like he was just like so calm and so nice and like cooperative and was like, I'm going to let you keep your boots and everything. I was like, I really like that scene as well. I was like, there you're right. There's a lot of implied storytelling there. Yeah. It's like, I want to know this guy's story because he has like a name that he calls himself by and like Barry's heard of him. It's like the captain or yeah. something. <laughs> and the Chevalier de Bali Bali or Bali Oh Bari. yeah, that, was, that guy was interesting too. So his moles were funny because he was obviously a degenerate gambler, like a libertine, right? And he had a diamond and a club or a spade mole above each of his eyes. And I thought that was fucking awesome. But each character kind of falls in and out at the beginning. And then, like you said, part two, it's like, shit, now Barry's married to an incredibly, incredibly beautiful woman. But like... And he just disregards her immediately. Okay, yeah, that's the scene I'm talking about, about the switch. Because the screen goes black, part two's title card comes up. We get the intermission, yeah. And then we're in the carriage, and she's like obviously coughing and just like, hey, could you stop smoking, Barry? 
and he just turns and just blows his smoke in her face and i'm like oh yeah. shit yeah that's where we are now that was like one of my favorite scenes in the movie really okay yeah, that, that scene was pretty <laughs> hands sick. down I, I was like i actually laughed out loud in that scene it was awesome i was just like yeah what a pimp i know right <laughs> just like damn oh my god <laughs> But anyways, Assholeberry is my favorite character. Like, okay, he was yeah. like he was the only one I actually resonated with. Like, so I was just like, all right, this is like okay. Like, I, I get I get who this character is now. I didn't like him, but like I, I got it. He was like a little more well drawn at that point instead of just like a baby wandering through the woods. Yeah, this I, I don't know if it was to the to the like the, the actor's, actor's weird. discredit. He just didn't. He wasn't very emotive in the beginning of the movie. He he played Barry very flat. I'm going to put it on Kubrick because Kubrick is somebody who, if he doesn't get what he wants, it's not going to be shown. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. He'll, he'll do a thousand takes. He'll get someone else. Like So any frame of a Kubrick movie, you can put the blame or praise or whatever, all of it on Kubrick, in my opinion. Yeah, Jeff's totally right, though, because there were moments where I thought I had sat on my remote and paused yeah. the film. Like some of the close-ups of, of Barry where he's like looking off into the distant or into like the light or something and his eyes and visage are all like illuminated. Then it starts to zoom out. And then it, but like he wouldn't move. And I was like, wait, what's happening? It was more just like he he wasn't, he was he didn't demonstrate to me the hunger that drives men like Barry Lyndon in reality. Like this, 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 pure because it's not it, that that doesn't suit this type of drama that would be out of place in this type of like slow paced man i know you say it's not a manners drama but i'm gonna keep calling it a manners no, drama that's fine yeah, I mean, yeah um but, but <laughs> the first uh, half's like whimsical fairy tale adventure but but it's not like it's not it i mean you could call it has it that a, tone it has yes, that tone. i guess it's trying to have that tone but at no point did i feel adventurous at no point did I feel whimsy. I didn't feel any of these <laughs> words you <laughs> that are describing you're that you're using to describe this movie. I just felt empty. And it was the weirdest feeling. I haven't had a feeling from a movie like this in a long time where I just felt empty while I was watching it. I was like, wow, I was disappointed actually. I wasn't sitting there like a like a normal movie that I don't like where I'm like, okay, time to be like ranty Jeff and like be mad about it. It's like it was more just like Huh. That sucks because this is really pretty to look at. It's not pretty to look at for three hours, but it's pretty to look at for an hour maybe, unless there's something there that can drag me along with kind of the beats of the story. But instead, you give a flat character, you give no other characters that are around long enough to make a real impact on me. I think like the one I liked the most was Barry Lyndon's um, mentor. The first one in like the red the red coat guy, I forget everyone's name. Oh, the blue movie. coat, the soldier for the Prussian the Prussian army that he. Like, no, no, no. But he was like he was like the kind of fatter one that like kind of tried to protect. Yeah, he was there at the beginning for the yeah. duel and stuff. Oh, totally, yeah, this yeah, is like yeah, the yeah, war, yeah. early early yeah. character. His, his, they like, have friend. a nice mouth kiss. Yes. Yeah, and he like yeah, that was actually a really great scene. I was actually I actually kind of sat up in that and was like, okay, here's some a little bit of emotion. Like he really cries it out, and you feel that, and that kiss was passionate, and like you kind of felt bad for this guy. Like, and also you you got a little bit of taste of like that era of warfare. 
and how like these men just like marched in a line. Dude, so ridiculous. To I have I have notes for that. How insane to me colonial battle practices are. Yeah, because it's all about <laughs> honor and it's line about infantry, tradition. Dude. And it's like, that's tradition. That's not like, I'm sure a hundred other people came up to them during that time. and was like, hey, you know, I think it'd be more efficient if he like got into like battalions and kind of tried to ambush the enemy or create situations in our favor. No, like it was all about tradition. So they just marched in a line. And when the guy in front of you got shot, you picked up his gun. So fucking ridiculous. And it was like, and it was like muskets. So like this shit didn't kill you instantly. It's the manners drama of warfare. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. It worked. That was that whole stretch of scene in in like you know early to mid part of the movie. I was on board. I was like, okay, is the movie starting to pick up? Are we starting to kind of get into like some like gritty, like oh man, like Barry Lyndon is is like is going to go through the war and like feel the sting of the war? No, oh, he's like fuck this. He's like I'm leaving. I liked it when he met up with the the German girl and they had a nice little scene together. Mm-hmm. That was nice. So um, I actually have some context that I forgot to bring up about this film oh, that I feel like would okay. answer, not answer. It won't fulfill your guys' desire context. like for wanting the, this is an answer to the Jesse's question of why should I care about the, the characters. So Kubrick wanted to make a film about Napoleon. Right, and everyone cares about Napoleon, obviously. He wouldn't even need to establish, like, why should you be watching this movie about one of the craziest men in history? But Waterloo came out before that and was, like, a massive failure. So studios were like, okay, you can't do a movie about Napoleon, sorry. So Kubrick was like, fuck, I just did, like, months and months of research and, like, traveled around, like, looking at all these spots in Europe at this time period, like looking at costumes and shit. So he was like, he settled on this like random book he found called Barry Lyndon, I believe. And like, it was just about this guy like during this time. And he was like, fuck it. I'm going to make the movie about this. So I do feel like you guys are right in that. It's like, it's lacking some, some drive to in between the audience and like the main character, right? Like everyone falls in love. Why, why would I put all my, apples in this guy's basket already just because of that you know but for me the urgency of like wanting to get to know barry and being concerned with his journey started after the fake duel at the beginning and they're like the police are gonna come you're an irishman you just killed an englishman like get the hell out of here you know and from then on i was like so sold on just like okay barry's gonna just do what he can all around europe and I loved him just like meandering through like the Seven Years' War and fighting for two different armies. Like I just thought that was hilarious. But I think if the film had been about Napoleon, it would have been way more of a okay. I care about this protagonist, you know? Yeah, I liked all that stuff you're talking about. I did. I think like I will just. I'm sort of in between your guys' opinions on the character of Barry Lyndon. For me, it was like the filmmaking that carried it and wondering where this was all going. Because like we like we said before, I'm not like Jeff. I don't need it to have a point immediately or even after two hours. I can happily wait for the end. Um, but like, I just want to point out like a shot that was very emblematic of like how enraptured I was with the filmmaking here. The way that like every like the, the music would carry on between scenes. Uh I don't know. It's just masterful. The the sim- the symmetry of of framing and of architecture is always cool. Yeah. I love that. We call it we call it Kubrickian. Now. I know. Like when someone does it, we call it Kubrickian because it's like 
he's just such the progenitor of this style or popularized it and made it as beautiful as it was. But there's this one shot that's emblematic of how this whole movie is like a fucking painting. If you pause it anywhere, it looks like a painting <laughs> from that era is it. The shot starts and sh- his wife is in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a painting. Mm-hmm. And it starts zooming out. And I saw another person, the maid or whatever. And I was like, oh, it's not a painting. Wait, it is a painting. Oh, no, it's not. Holy shit. <laughs> like the that. That it just looked so good. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And there's so much of that throughout the whole film, and that's probably for me it was the best part. It was just exactly what you're talking about. It was just this gorgeous, this. I mean, the way that Kubrick can take light and almost amplify it, like it, it's like almost like his camera is a prism. Well, all cameras are prisms, but like you know, it's like his camera is like a special prism that that increases the vibrancy and majesty of light and color, and it, much like a painting does. But much like I tried the analogy before, it's like I can only stand that for so long. Yeah, <laughs> you're like I gotta go on to the next yeah. painting, please. Like, you're like in the Louvre. I'm gonna see. I see Jeff stuck in line at the Louvre, waiting to go to the next painting. Like checking his watch. He's like, oh, come man. on. I was gonna say, <laughs> oh, dude, a hundred. I've never gone to popular museums for the same reason as like I just don't have the patience, dude. So I went to a popular. I went to the Getty Museum down here in LA to see. They had like Van Gogh's like water lily exhibit. And nice. the same thing, that, the thing that you're talking about, Jeff, like the moving from painting to painting, I got stuck on a Monet painting because there was a just massive, boisterous, like cacophony of people all around the Van Gogh painting. And everyone had their fucking phone out and everyone was taking pictures of it. People were asking me to move to the left or the right so they could like take a picture with the painting for their Instagram and shit. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this and fuck all of you. I'm going to stand still and stare into just like do a thousand yard stare into this Monet painting and pretend like none of you are here. And I guess that's just what I like when it comes to movies. That was a good choice. Like Monet, man. I don't know. It's just something about kineticism in movies nowadays. It's like maybe I'm just my brain is just getting too old. <laughs> You can do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> See, that's, that's, you can do it well. You can do it badly. Like, let's take, we're, we're talking about Matrix Resurrections for context or whatever other new garbage is out. But, like, John Wick is like the most kinetic thing ever. And it's brilliantly made. It is. It's like perfectly. I can made, watch that you know? and feel like, okay. I don't know. Yeah. It's because it's well made, it's well constructed, well done. It, uh, it does exactly what it needs to do in an effective, efficient manner. And that makes sense for John Wick. You don't want John Wick to be, you know, Barry Lyndon. <laughs> Definitely not. It would like, be sick if I don't mixed. want this. I don't want Barry Lyndon to be anything more than what it is, because that would detract from Kubrick, somebody I respect, and their vision and their art. But in this time, mm-hmm. Kubrick's painting just didn't speak to me. Yeah, it didn't give me any kind of joy or satisfaction. It just made me feel tired. And, I get it, and, and I was it was frustrating because I really wanted to like it a lot. I really wanted to be on that level, but I just something about the setting and the pacing and the flat of the characters and just it couldn't carry me for very long. And it was just it was a bummer. That is that is a bummer when you watch something you're like, this is Kubrick, 
I should be loving this and I'm not. And that's sad. You know, like I'm sad that I'm not loving it. I think I wasn't angry at the movie. I I didn't want it to be amazing or any, like I I didn't want it to be like, like I, you know what I mean? Like I didn't want it to be, uh, what can I liken it to like, like an English war drama or something like that. You know what I mean? If I could be very vague, I don't really have like a reference, Patriot. but like a Braveheart or something the like Patriot. that. The <laughs> Patriot. Both Mel Gibson suggestions, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, and Roland Emmerich as well. Oh yeah. It needs to be exactly what it is. It needs to be Barry Lyndon, true to the source material and true to the people that enjoy that film. And the fact that you guys liked it is great because that means that there's something there that's unique and and special and can speak to many people on many platforms and that alone makes the movie valuable when it can when different people can get different things from it like we all got the same thing from the matrix i mean (laughs) i mean i guess maybe not because we're starting to see more and more people we respect say like good things about that movie and we're just like are we the assholes no Uh, no i hope i hope we can go into never speaking of that film again but it won't happen we it will won't ha- it's burned it's into us for a while see i'm thinking of the filmography of kubrick jeff and I, you, you guys are right like in the shining you know exactly what like is starting to happen very early or at least if you don't like you can see the destination right you're like oh this is gonna be crazy a clockwork or, orange yeah yeah that's what i wanted space to say about, like clockwork like, has i think space odyssey is incredibly slow it is, but it has that theme it's that you like, right? One of the slowest films. Yeah, like there has it has. For, there's no spoken dialogue, uh, dialogue for 45 minutes yeah. in that movie. It's it's the epitome of slow, but I love it because that world is so absent and void, much like space, mm-hmm. that you it, it captures that that space horror of just like emptiness and nothing and nobody can hear you scream and all that kind of space trope and it works yeah that theme is present right because yeah exactly like clockwork is a very confusing world you know you don't quite understand this dystopian england with like where like ruffians rule the world basically but he's able to keep you enraptured in it because of these unique characters so in either way the setting or the characters, Kubrick is great at doing both. But in this movie, it seems like the setting couldn't capture me enough and the characters were flat. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, that's weird. Yeah, that's like, I, I will say, I feel like when I watch this movie, I see relics of things that we will see later in Eyes Wide Shut, filmmaking techniques mm. that Kubrick seems to play around with again it's just it visually it reminded me and the color palette reminded me so much of that film like these rooms and these like almost salon like setups of like bustling parties of like people moving around in extravagant costumes and like very delicate movement but it's all choreographed right to like the t so it comes out visually the way that kubrick wants it um yeah he's not gonna allow chaos in any of his movies that's for sure no no improvisation when you're working with old stanley and so yeah yeah. there's something about this movie in his filmography that i think endears me in the way that i think it it's like the runt or like the black sheep of his filmography and i 
not necessarily in like filmmaking technique, but in narrative. There's something about this movie that I said this earlier. Oh, like I think, <laughs> yeah. Well, I well, I said something similar, where it's like you guys are talking about how you sort of know what to expect when you go into The Shining or Clockwork or even 2001 to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie is like stealthily his most cynical movie. The first half to me is like a com- like it could have been a setup for a completely different movie. Yeah, and I had no idea where it was going. I had no idea. See, I didn't feel an ounce of cynicism from this movie at all. Like that's it's so, so strange. I I did not find any humor or any like like tongue in cheek like winking at the uh, at the narrative or that's trying to like so satire. It, to me, read as just a flat, boring manners drama. Like, it felt not, like a satire of it, a manners drama. It felt so serious. Like everything felt like deadly serious. Like. I don't know. I, I I did not pick up. It on felt that. like all these things. I don't know. It's it's that's the weirdest thing about this movie is like it's so hard to put my finger on what the tone is because it's just such a strange film. It it's is definitely not flat for me. It's like it's doing a lot of different things, and I'm just trying to like unweave those things so I can explain them. And so at some points I'm like it's whimsical, and some points I'm like it's miserable. <laughs> And it's both, and it's neither. I don't know. It's an interesting you know, one. I didn't love it as much as Alex, but I, I really enjoyed I, it. I don't think I'd watch it again, though. Not for like 10 years. I actually thought that the most vibrant relationship of characters in the movie was obviously him and his stepson. I think that that was like the most tenuous and most real one to me. But for some reason, I fucking hated Lord Bullingdon. And I, I think that he has every right to be angry and upset, you know, and he calls him out so beautifully in like, he's so eloquent, you know, like this Irish upstart, like taking my mother and everything like that. Even when he's a child, I was like, Jesus, you're fucking smart. Running it, the fortune into the exactly. ground. It's so funny that you say that. Like it, cause at the beginning of the movie, when he's uh, the, the Quinn character, mm-hmm. the one that like his cousin wants to marry. I he was such a douchebag, the Quinn character. <laughs> but I, since he since he didn't like Barry, I kind of wanted to root for him. But I was like, ah, he's such an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I am an Englishman, sir. <laughs> and he's just like, ugh. But then Bullington, like, I don't know, he became like a character that I like kind of respected, even though he wasn't around for very long. <laughs> and then gave gives Barry the business. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I can give. So it's like, I almost wanted to get you behind these other characters. On everything. It's funny. I wanted, opposite on everything. It's like he, the cosmic justice in this movie was served to Barry and he deserved it. And it was, n- it was like served better than none other than his stepson, who he was such a fucking douche to. But for some reason, I was just like, I don't like this. I don't like you. And I don't like your face. You know, like, even though he's right, <laughs> he is right in everything. That's because you're, you're on Team Barry, I guess man. so. I, I was like, Team you're Barry. Team every, I'm on Team Barry getting hit with an <laughs> anvil, like, that's fucking Looney Tunes. I mean, my favorite character has to be the Chevalier de Balibari. I mean, that guy's life was just, he's like a gambler, a libertine, secretly an Austrian, but actually underneath it, he's just a old Irish spy, like. No way. That, that, that's so cool. He felt the most like fairy tale of a character. Yeah, he, the way sure. he was dressed and everything, I was like, you're cool. I like you. 
<laughs> You're cool. <Yeah. laughs> That's like a very like five year old. Exactly. Like, I, I'm him. I'm him. Exactly. This, <laughs> this is the movie where Alex would be like, "That's cool." It's not like The Matrix. I know, right? I mean, none of us think that's cool. This is 1999, <laughs> but you know, just like the most stodgy, fucking like mannersy character you can conjure alex is like that's cool yeah exactly that's like new age cool that's what i want that's hip i want to grow up and be the king's speech <laughs> Jeffrey Rush. Oh, fuck. <laughs> i love it so much I like, like. So, <laughs> <laughs> what what's your guys favorite kubrick movie oh shit, god man. oh shit. we got we got eyes wide shut Everyone loves Eyes Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, it's not divisive at all. <sighs> that movie's fucking weird, but I. You know what? I don't remember it. It's like the caricature of weird. See, though. that movie like, was too weird for me because of the fact that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman started to become such like a meta couple that was like so ever present in all of my like news feeds and everything, and all the time that I couldn't watch that movie seriously without feeling just some weird. I don't know weirdness, but yeah, but it's like it's become such like a part of the zeitgeist. So yeah, like, exactly. Like when you're referencing something, you can be like, "Oh, dude, this movie is weird. it's like eyes wide shut." Weird. Exactly. Exactly. I need to see it again. <laughs> clearly, I clearly need to see it again. But yeah. this definitely shook it up for me, and I mean, The Shining is the movie that I have always said, in my opinion, I think it's the best film ever made, as far as like it's the best made film. I think that The Shining is perfect in every I mean, like sense of filmmaking. Stephen King would disagree. Yeah, yeah. but but, but he yeah. also directed Maximum Overdrive. He also so, didn't he pro- help producer like part the of that shitty the the shitty Rob Lowe uh, Salem's Lot movie. I I don't yeah Probably. I don't um I don't give a lot of stock to what Stephen King thinks about cinema. <laughs> yeah, that. to be honest, yeah, no, no, The Shining. I'd have to. I would say that The Shining is um, Kubrick's best work, mm-hmm. but my favorite. I Lolita? it's. It's such a close tie between Clockwork and 2001. Mm-hmm. It, it's to the point where it, it can't be called. I feel like 2000, or not 2001, but Clockwork, I just, I don't know what it is from talking to you over the past few months and stuff. I just feel like that would be your movie. Like you would love that type I've of movie. I've watched it more than 2001. For okay. sure. It's my most viewed Kubrick movie. So maybe that's indicative of it being my favorite, but I find that one to be the most entertaining and. But then it's the imagery in 2001. The first, the opening scenes of 2001 are like burned into my memory as just pure majesty. Um, and so it, it's hard to say. As an American living in the post 20th century, early 21st century, I think the movie that's most relevant to me and the one that I like the most is probably Dr. Strangelove. Um, I think that movie is just so on the nose for so many things and so timeless and fucking hilarious. And I don't know. The acting in that film like blows the acting in Barry Lyndon like out of the water, right? You have George C. Scott doing his thing. Yeah. You have fucking Peter Sellers playing three different ridiculous characters. Right. You have Sterling Hayden playing just the lunatic, gung-ho American, like jingoist, you know, crazy man. And it's just, I don't know. And then you have the plane full of actual... This is what America is. You have a black guy, some hick, slim and slim pickings, some other dudes, and they're just like normal people 
trying to figure out if the world is going to explode in their face or not. But this movie blew me like away. So it's all just murky for me kind of with comes with Kubrick and favorites. That's hard. It's like asking you what's your favorite Scorsese. Well, that's that's even harder because he has so many more. Yeah. You know, Kubrick only has like 10 movies. I know, so it's, it's insane. Relatively like subdued filmography in terms of numbers. If you want to talk pure numbers. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of these in a really long time. The one that is like permanently etched for sure is The Shining. But like I need to watch them again, man. I love Full Metal Jacket. That's up there oh, in my favorite war right. films. Yeah, yeah, that movie is like, iconic. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That movie <laughs> like, was the first movie that like that suicide scene. Yeah. Was, like that was the first time where like a, a horrific image from a movie got burned into my brain. Like the way his like skull and brains were like up against the wall. Like mm-hmm. it was so it had so much detail to the point of like blurring that line between movie and reality. Yeah. That's a great he did a really movie. another really interesting one that people don't talk about as much called Paths of Glory. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't think well, the one that. he did right after the killing. Yeah, black and white war film with um oh god, what's his name? Kirk Douglas, chiseled, sculpted man, mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas. Um, that one's really good too. It's like a, it's almost like a courtroom drama it turns into about cowardice and commanding officers. Mm. Yeah, I think they're French, aren't they? I don't remember. Okay, it's like World War um, One. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. It is French. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's early. It's in the fifties, so it's just Kirk Douglas talking in an American accent, but <laughs> yeah. like everyone's supposedly French in quotations. All the evil but people are uh, British, especially in when you're looking at the way films were made at the time. This movie was like, holy shit! The way this guy uses a camera and constructs scenes is so unlike the sort of like stilted stodginess of that era movies weren't as kinetic as they are now then paths of glory feels kinetic i don't know there's something about it that still feels relevant and modern whereas a lot of old films just feel old yeah i think it's cool that kubrick was able to excel in so many different like styles and ways of like telling movies because there are obviously we were just talking about it elements that are fundamentally kubrick however if you showed it to like just a normal general movie going audience, they could think that they were made by different filmmakers. And it's cool that he was able to explore like that as a filmmaker. And each one of his films is such like a banger on its own. Right. Whereas someone like Wes Anderson, you could easily say, well, he made every single one of these movies and I'm not saying they're bad. It's just Kubrick is just interesting in that, in that sense. To me. Well, that's a testament to his skill as a director and his yeah. impact yeah. on the industry. Is like all these people afterwards, you see it. There are moments in Barry Lyndon where I was like, this could have been a 90s Spielberg movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, well, Kubrick has this. Well, I consider him to be like one of the great geniuses beyond just like, I mean, there's like Tarantino and like genius directors, but he's like one of the great geniuses, like, like an Einstein or a Newton, like these people come around in their particular fields and they revolutionize the way it's done and their films are just instantly classic and are always relevant. Like I, any of the Kubrick movies I've seen that we've listed uh, are instantly rewatchable over and over again the plots always hold up they are always still kind of relevant in their own ways especially clockwork and those kind of movies like he was one of those people that just had 
that that genius mind and, and just kind of before his time really and I don't know it just mm-hmm. he, he's on that level for me where it's like it's beyond just like good director it's someone who was meant to be in film found film yeah it's it's like if there was a Mount Rushmore of directors in all of cinema history I feel like he wouldn't even be on it because he's one of those ones that like transcends that even right yeah, he'd be on like the mount olympus yeah i mean he's like a god he's like oh we don't Ooh. have any images of him we just like speak his name into the ether and existence Ooh, like who's on your mount rushmore who would be so on your mount the rushmore people who, of i would say that transcended it for me are kubrick and i think alfred hitchcock might be the only one maybe david lean i don't know like it's hard yeah but on it hitchcock pt anderson quentin anderson Obviously, yeah. Quentin. I, and I have yeah. to put Steven Spielberg there, even though yeah. Steven Spielberg is like the most synonymous name with filmmaking in America. And I don't care if that's like a hot take. I'm not necessarily like love all of his movies. It's just, I don't know. Steven Spielberg is an interesting person and an interesting he director. He invented the blockbuster. Yeah, right? Like, like <laughs> he, he changed, he doesn't get enough credit for changing cinema. No, he doesn't. And I think it's because, like, you could make a real argument that it changed for the worse because of like filmmakers like Roland Emmerich and that type who have taken the Spielbergian formula and made it into just like shovelware essentially for your brain. <laughs> and that's that's like what the cinema is today. It's essentially shovelware yeah. uh, that are that's like using that Spielbergian formula from Jaws. Like Jaws Jaws changed the world more so even than like The Matrix or Kubrick. Oh, yeah. You know, Jaws is insane. Just that that the the way that you construct a movie with all those movie elements that we like take as being movies these days. Like if movies don't have those elements, then it's like art house. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. If you're not if you're not following the Spielberg formula in some degree, then your movie's fucking weird to people. Yeah. Like people like their brains don't know how to like process the information. Mm-hmm. You're like, this doesn't this isn't operating like a movie. <laughs> Like and that's that's crazy. You redefined what movie meant. Yeah, it's wild. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I got my Mount Rushmore. You do. All right. Yeah, I think I do. Let's hear it. Tarantino, Spielberg, Coppola, and um, uh, God damn it, Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Okay. Yeah. 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 I could never do it. Four is not enough. I could do it. I could do a top twenty. It's like fifty yeah, percent. I had to choose. That would be those four. Fifty percent sure. Italian over there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird. So weird. <laughs> so strange. Yeah, because it's like who Kurosawa has to the go people, up there. That's what I was, I was leading into oh, that. Sorry. Like you define you def- like you guys are tapping into like a specific era or like maybe a conflation of a couple eras there. But it's like there are so many eras where it's like yeah, if you want to pull the camera back and go back in time a little bit you've got like how do you not put hitchcock on there how do you not put akira kurosawa because to me those are like gods those aren't like like those are people who like like kubrick transcended film and those are film i that's different they're like you know like those people were creating those people were creating stories and putting them on film and doing things that had never been done before if I'm talking about a Mount Rushmore, a Mount Rushmore of anything to me means who are the four directors that had the most impact on your desire to watch movies? Right. What four directors 
made you go, I like movies. I like them a lot, and I like them enough yeah. to talk about them multiple times a week on a fucking yeah. podcast. <laughs> okay, okay. The, I like that because yeah. that narrows it in. It's like it Spielberg becomes has to be more on there for me then. Yeah. Personal. Yeah, I don't know. Scorsese would definitely be on there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I think Tarantino, honestly, would probably be on there. He's a big part of what made me fall in love with movies. I've seen all his movies. Yeah. I mean, after after this year, probably Anderson would be up there. I'd have to think about it, but it's it's an interesting conversation topic. Yeah, I don't know, but there are definitely a few like Kubrick, and it's crazy even saying Kubrick's name now because I feel like regardless of all of the directors we just mentioned, and you talking about the eras, you know, Jesse, I feel like Kubrick's mm-hmm. name just rings out in both directions of time. Like it's just like. Jesus, this guy is just—he bridged the gap. Yeah. Well, he bridged the gap. He was operating in the like the Kurosawa Hitchcock era. Yeah, maybe Orson and I mean, Kurosawa Wells too and, before him. And yeah, Orson Welles—he made a lot of movies. I just watched one from him that was insane, called um, "The Trial," based on Kafka, and it's the most Kafka-esque movie ever. <laughs> the movie is fucking bananas. Um, but anyway, should we wrap it up? Yeah, should wrap this one up. Yeah, tie I mean, a bow on it. Yeah, yeah, I. I, I Barry Lyndon, watch it because it's definitely worth watching. Like a like seeing a piece of art is worth seeing, but uh, you know, it's worth a shot. Don't do it before bedtime. Have a cup of coffee before. <laughs> have a yeah. Have a grande latte. Yeah. Um. Have a have a yerba mate. Have whatever. Have a big old line of cocaine. I don't know. Whatever can keep you awake. Because goddamn, if you have insomnia, this is a movie for you. Pull your socks up. Yeah. And powder I don't your know. Face. I think like. Whether or not you're on sort of me and Alex's side of things or Jeff's side of things, like this is Kubrick and it's a really interestingly constructed movie and you should try it for sure. You should at least try. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how we ended up doing a sort of like a director spotlight on Kubrick here as well. That was (laughs) nice. Enjoyed that as well. All right. Real Weirdos. Another week. Another episode in the bag. Signing off. And we'll see you all next week. See you next year. Bye. Do next I year? Had to do it. I had, I well, had this to is it. a. <laughs> well, this will come out. <laughs> okay, stop. <laughs> now our podcast is done, and we have to run. We know it is sad, but we had so much fun. Don't be bereft, Jesse, Alex, and Jeff. We'll be back real soon. The real weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn long.